What's going on, guys? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch. Oh, yeah. Always built for the mission. They make some of the finest, most well-built, most overbuilt, and most comfortable fire gear in the world. But besides that, they make all of your load-bearing essentials, and it's all equally as comfortable and all equally as built just as well as the fire packs and it kicks ass. So if you guys are interested and want to check out some more stuff like maybe a briefcase or a backpack for trekking across Europe, or maybe, I don't know, you guys want some like hunting equipment. Well, they make all that stuff. So go to www.mysteryranch.com and check them out. Also coming down the pipeline, they have something called that coming out called the backbone series and it is kick ass. I'm stoked to be working on this project with these guys, but not only that, they are going to be introducing the 1039 scholarship program here pretty soon. So way that it's going to work is, well, it hasn't been announced yet. So this is just a little teaser, but probably around the fall, uh, what they're going to be doing is they're going to taking proceeds from purchases of certain packs and briefcases, and they're going to be shoveling into an account. And basically, if you guys are a 1039 employee and you want to go back to school, well, this is your opportunity. So that's coming down the line. It's not out yet, but I'll have more details for you guys when it comes out. So once again, go check out www.mysteryranch.com. Check out their Facebook. Check out their Instagram. Another sponsor of the show is, of course, going to be our premier coffee sponsor, Hotshot Brewery. I don't know why I felt compelled to do like the metal voice or whatever. But anyways, yeah. So Hotshot Brewery, right? They make kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. And they've got a full line of apparel that you guys can check out to help, I don't know, support that firefighter culture, that wildland firefighter culture, that is. And they also have a full line of all the tools of the trade to get your morning started right. They've got aero presses. They've got pour over systems. They've got Chemex things, whatever, I guess you want to call it a Chemex coffee maker. Oh yeah. It's awesome, man. They even got coffee grinders, but they support the show by slinging our merch. So cool thing about that is you can swing over to hotshotbrewery.com, www.hotshotbrewery.com. And you can pick yourself up an anchor point podcast sticker or a tea. You can get one of those band of brothers teas and there's going to be more stuff coming out soon. So once again, go over to www.hotshotbrewery.com where a portion of all the proceeds will go back to the wildland firefighter foundation. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. Yeah, if you guys don't know what this is, it is awesome. Bethany's got a cool organization over there. And what it is, is a it's basically the story of wildland firefighting dating all the way back to the 1940s. It's a digital archive and collection of short stories, some longer than others, uh, of wildland firefighting here in North America. There's over a hundred of these things. It's, it's awesome. And Bethany, you got a kick-ass organization over there and she actually gives back to the community. She's teamed up with mystery ranch and water X pumps to help facilitate some $500 micro grants for you folks in the field that are telling the story of wildland firefighting. So if you guys want to find out more, head over to www.wildfireexperience.org and find out more. The views 
and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, this coronavirus quarantine, the corona team, doing air quotes here. It's kind of driving me nuts, but uh, hey, you know what? We all got to do our part. So hope everybody's doing well. Anyways, so today's show is going to be about contractors, wildland fire suppression contract crews. Okay. And uh, I know there's a lot of myths and misconceptions out there as to what we perceive and what they actually do. And uh, yeah, we're going to have an actual contractor. He's going to be uh, the operations manager for Firestorm Wildland Fire Suppression Incorporated on the show today to explain some of those things. They encounter uh, a, a lot of, I guess, roadblocks that we don't always see being contractors. I mean, if they blow up a saw on a fire or something like that, it's 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 a lot more difficult for them to get the tools that they need than it would be for a fed. But cool thing is, is they don't have a, t- a ton of paperwork or a pile of red tape to go sifting through in order to do the job they need to do. So it's pretty cool. It's an interesting perspective. And uh, yeah, keep an open mind. I know that we see wildland fire through through a very limited scope you know we see it from either the fed side or the state side or the county side but not a lot of us know all about the contracting world so we're gonna uh clear up some myths and misconceptions about it and we're kind of gonna explain uh what they do in the line of duty out there and uh there's actually do a lot more than just fighting fire they do gis they do tree service arborist stuff they do it all and it's pretty cool and pretty neat to actually hear about it um also for those folks that uh didn't get placed with a a fire crew this year these guys are hiring and we are going to be talking a little bit about that so without further ado ladies and gentlemen i have josh hiller from firestorm wildland fire suppression incorporated welcome to the anchor point all right well, dude, uh, you, are you ready to get into it? Yeah, I think so. I got the doors locked. Someone, you know, our, our tree guys will probably come back in an hour. I told them don't come in. Who knows? They may bang on it in an hour or something. Uh, that's all right, man. We'll make it work. So let's get it started then. Sounds good. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode. Jeez, I can't even talk. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got Josh Hiller from Firestorm wildland fire suppression incorporated how you doing man i'm doing great uh thanks for inviting me on yeah anytime man anytime so the premise of the show is well there's not a lot of info out there about contractors it's kind of like the world where the feds don't see that kind of side and also vice versa you know cal fire doesn't see that side and also sometimes you know the contractors don't really see the fed fire side of things it's Big difference in operations, uh, big difference in policy, and I want you to have the opportunity to explain everything. Oh boy! And we got an hour. <laughs> we got as long as you want, brother. <laughs> we, we got an hour. Um, uh, contracting. Let me just start with uh, Firestorm a little bit. Yeah. Uh, if you could, uh, we we started in 1995. Um, 
our founder was was with the feds. Yeah, he went with the shots, was the captain on the shot cruise, ran around with it. 17 years into it, he decided he was done, attempted construction. That wasn't his thing. Uh, they had an OC program on one of the local forests, and uh, he started running that uh, through that process. Uh, the, the management of the OC program said, we just want basically a one payment. You show up, you do the work, do whatever we need to do, walk away. And in, hence, in 96, a contract was written. Um, so it uh, basically covered everything. They weren't itemizing saws, each individual's. They just ordered the crew when they needed it, and it was one-stop shopping. And that, I believe, became the, the first contract crew in the U.S. They had other crews before then, mm-hmm. but they never had a contract. They had emergency use agreements, etc. And so a contract was born. Um, my family's been in, and my uncle was in fire and forest service. He's a battalion chief. My aunt was the, uh, the region's HR. Uh, my brother was in the shots. I wanted to do fire. Um, but I seen a lot of, uh, I don't know if I would call it badge polishing, but a, a lot of, uh, bureaucracy and, and I'm a pretty free spirit. Gotcha. And so my brother said, Hey, there's this guy started a contract crew. If you want to do fire, try that out. And so I did. So in 96, I started the year it became incorporated and I got into contract firefighting. I I didn't know, I I wouldn't say I knew any better state versus feds versus county versus contracting. I just wanted to fight fire. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, some of the bigger differences were financial was never my input. You know, when I was going, I wasn't looking, Hey, how much does this outfit pay? And how much is that? I just wanted to fight fire. And so what I, uh, I didn't recognize a lot of the differences early in my career. Um, as I, uh, I learned more and experienced more. One of the bigger differences is maybe, uh, financing, uh, on a forest service crew, you get hired, there's financing, to pay you throughout the fire season, whether one fire starts or no fire starts. You have a, you know, and I don't want to misrepresent force service, but a 40 hour week or whatever the week may be, they're on, they're on shift. Mm -hmm. Contracting on the other hand, there's no fires, no work, there's no paycheck. And so that was the early model of it, you know, in in the really small businesses, we went to a fire, we we got paychecks and we got paid. And so when we did go to work, we wanted to stay as long as possible. That's where the work was. Let's put up, you know, let's work hard, let's work well, let's let the management to be, um, see us and want to keep us there. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't, Hey, let's do stupid things and let's, you know, somebody said it's too unsafe and let's go do it. That, that wasn't the case, but it was, let's work hard. Let's show up on time. Let's work hard through the end of shift and be professional. So there wasn't a reason for them to get rid of us. Kind of show that value of what you guys have to offer. <laughs> show a value, yeah. uh, show a value and ha- want to be, you know, and have the folks working around you like working with you and like, like keeping you there. Yeah. Cause in the end, somebody goes home, you know, as it gets smaller, you know, they, they start thinning out the resources. We don't need this. We don't need this. And we always just wanted to be the resource they wanted to keep. Hence that old adage, the uh, fire you should be worrying about is definitely the one you're on. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> 
That's interesting though. Cause I, I mean, from my impression, um, and granted I've, I've never been in the contracting world, so I'm a little bit naive to the subject, but originally when contracting first came around, it was a policy to implement or to supplement rather, uh, existing firefighting resources on large campaign fires. And it blossomed yes. into what we have today, which is much, much different. Yes. And, and I can't speak a lot to region six and I, region six, I, I believe probably leads the way in contracting crews mm-hmm. and, and probably engines. Um, and so I can't speak much to how the inception came about. Um, but here it was a sub subsidiary, just like you said, mm-hmm. Hey, we, we have our hotshot crews, we have our engines, we have all of our stuff, but then a larger fire season came on and they supplemented it. The program was already there. Hey, we need another crew here. We need another engine here. We don't have it within our own resources. Let's integrate uh, the contracting folks into it. Huh. And so, so it was, it was, it was never designed to take the place of, but to support the roles that were already happening. Gotcha. And now though, let's say nowadays standards, I mean, you guys do land management. I mean, I even know that you guys do GIS work. You guys do pretty much all. So it's, it's not just a fire suppression thing. It's, it's much, much more than that. Yes. In hindsight, maybe we would have named ourselves something differently back in 96 because yeah, we're not just fire suppression. Um, but after fire season, you know, we're, we're, we're work funded. And so the forest service may have had large service contracts that required, you know, burn plan writing, burn plan prep, burn plan implementation. And we hunted those down. So we would get the folks that worked with us more work at that point in time, it was me. They were looking for work for me. I wasn't helping. Um, <laughs> and, and we would, we would do thinning projects. We would do control burns and all portions of it. And so we, you know, we worked longer into the fall earlier into the spring. And, uh, and then now at this point in the game, we do, we do a lot of burn plan writing, um, same things, burn plan implementation, um, GIS, you mentioned that uh, we got into the, uh, there, there was a GIS uh, company, Deer Creek Resources. They had a great program and we uh, absorbed it into our management of it is what we did. And so that helped us considerably because that's not something that everyday firefighters would deal with. So we did start learning more about that and the usefulness of it. And then we could speak to them on how they could be more useful to the fire industry as well. Gotcha. So it's kind of like a consulting firm almost in, in a sense, I guess you could do that as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what we do is they, they have, it's a contract as well. They do contracts with Cal fire with forest service Forest service orders, the GIS team, they show up with the trailer. Um, sometimes they use our personnel. Sometimes they just use our equipment and then we would do the, the same folks, the agents or the same things the agency is doing as well. Gotcha. Mapping the fires out, keeping it up to speed, et cetera. And then we modified the use of it into our prescribed fire because before we weren't, we didn't have a plotter to plot out a map for our burn. You know, we had an eight by 11 copy of a burn plan we put on the computer. And so now we were able to put out, you know, uh, professional maps that we could use. That's awesome, man. And, uh, what else do you guys do? I mean, besides the GIS, the fire suppression, fire prep, um, the fuels management, do you guys do anything else? Like anything kind of off the wall or anything like that? Off the wall. Yeah, we probably go up. Uh, we, we did several things. We, we did get into the uh, uh, residential and commercial tree business. 
uh, we started we started that with the mindset of after fire season, folks still want to work. And so we, you know, there, and there was people in the woods, people in the trees, and we started doing that. What it turned into is that became full-time work. And so it became an either, or you either do fire or you do arbor work. What it, where it's benefited us and our, and our folks is maybe you've been in fire for 10 years and now you just want to stay home. You still want to work. You still like the outdoors. And so it's given our opportunities like, Hey, I'm going to walk away from fire, but can I work with the tree folks? So I can work a nine to five and come home every night. Yeah. So you guys have those options. You got a little bit more versatility than, you know, doing the six months in a day and then getting laid off. You have potential to do a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. We have uh, a lot more in, Depending on the individual, uh, we have folks who want to work fire season. At the end of fire season, they want to pull the plug, do whatever they do during the winter, go snowboarding. Go school uh, or something. Go to school, go snowboarding. And then there's others that just want work. Um, and we try and accommodate that as much as possible. That's cool, though. You have the flexibility to do that. Um, so I, I totally skipped over this, but I mean, tell us about a little bit more about yourself. I mean, how long have you been in fire? Um, what's your experience like? I know you're pretty much high up on the chain over there at Firestorm, but, uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, man. Uh, myself. Okay. Uh, I, I like I said, I, I started, uh, I started on an OC crew in 96, actually, when my brother had told me to, Hey, look at this company they had OC programs, uh, in the adjoining forests. Um, I went and trained with them, got on with them. Um, I missed the first fire call that Firestorm had. Uh-oh. And I was at my sister's uh, graduation. And so I started calling around. The OC crew hadn't got called yet, and they got the call like an hour later. So I jumped on that. Um, I did two weeks with them, did a 14-day roll, and then told them, hey, I was jumping over to the private industry afterwards. I started as a Sawyer. I grew up on a ranch. You know, I ran saw here and there. I mm-hmm. wasn't a competent Sawyer by any means. And I, um, but I took the S212. And so I, uh, I started as a Sawyer and just went from there. And I, I stayed a Sawyer for quite a few years. And then at some point, they encouraged me to be a squad boss. I became a squad boss and then uh, worked my way up to the crew soup. Uh, 2008, at that point in time, we had six hand crews and the quality of managing them was getting difficult. I mean, us that started there, we knew what we wanted. We knew what we wanted to do with boots on the ground. And as we were getting bigger, it was harder to manage that. Mm -hmm. And so I backed out of the crew soup role and started making sure other crews were still performing with what we set out to do. Gotcha. Okay. And then it just morphed from there. We started engines. Um, the engines, we started them to support our burn program. And then we started contracting them out and supplementing uh, some of our stuff for the winter. Nice, man. So we had all this talk about, you know, contracting. We had a baseline introduction into what you guys do over there at Firestorm. Let's talk about some of those primary differences between feds and contractor or state and contractor. I mean, it's pretty much all different. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's all different. I, I think maybe the first thing there is, they are all different, but all programs still have firefighters, whether you're on the feds, you know, it's in the field, like, Oh, they're a fed or they're a state or they're a County. Well, they all, they're all made up of a bunch of great firefighters, but they definitely have different programs. 
um, you know, specific to Cal Fire. Cal Fire is, you know, don't lose an inch. You know, we're paid by the tax dollars not to let fire burn, and we put it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Forest Service has a management program, and and maybe for maybe for in within their management practices, we're going to let it burn to the lake. We're going to let it burn a little bit further. The multiple uh, objectives kind of mentality. Multiple objectives and uh, contracting. We, necessarily, we don't necessarily have our set of objectives. We're working for somebody. I'm working for the state. I'm working for the state. Those are the objectives we're following that day. If we're working for the Forest Service, we're following uh, um, their objectives. Differences would be uh, with training. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on in, in the spring months, uh, I think Forest Service is doing a lot of training. Um which happens to be the same point in time burn season's going on, we have the flexibility to roll our training up much further because we do have some flexibility so we could be trained by the time burn season shows up and fill in those gaps. And, you know, we started as a supplementary supplementary uh, program for crews or engines. So we, tr- we tried to find out, hey, when do they need us most? It's not always in August. It might be in March when they're trying to do pile burning and you have to have a bunch of training going on. Yeah. And that's a cool thing too, is like, I mean, I, I know for a fact that any agency, any land management agency or any state firefighting agency does not have the personnel or the resources to do it all. And that's where contracting fills in an excellent gap. Also, what is cool about that is you got all of your basic 40, your refresher, your training going on. And then you guys go back into, you guys leave that and you guys go into the field and start burning. And that's some, that's some quality, like entry level on the job training is when you're on prescribed fire. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I know in my fire career, we did a lot of burning early on and I, I believe I learned more about fire in the prescribed fire world than I did in the uh, uh, suppression part of it. Suppression part of it, a lot of times it was head down, dig line as fast as you can, keep fire on the left, off on the right. Mm-hmm. And we're in fire, uh, prescribed fire, you had an opportunity to think about what the fire was going to do and, and make decision. And your decision that you made may make it jump the line because you chose to light the match at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah, so differences back to that financial. We, we're not as um, free to be idle with our time as others. Just uh, we need something to do, whether it's a project, a prescribed fire, um, or something. And then if we have downtime, we train. We offer training to all of our folks, but we'll you know we'll find out who wants what. There's natural born leaders in this world, and and there's people you should put energy into and there's others that, you know, they, they don't want a lot of it. So I won't force them into it either. Yeah. You know, maybe they may not want a fire career. So speaking of leadership, I mean, what is that like? What is your, your leadership and development training like? Um, it's, so we run uh, hand crews um, mm-hmm. and, and engines in our hand crew portion. We run type two, a hand crews. Um, and so it's configured you know, with a, a crew soup, two captains, two squaddies. And we try to build from within. Um, each crew has its own personality based upon the leadership and, and the folks that make up that crew. And, and we try to um, cater to it. If we see somebody of promise that wants to learn, we have them learn the person's job ahead of them. 
Yeah. You know, if you're a squaddy, start, start mentoring with this captain, start mentoring, start learning everything you can. Uh, what, once they, they have a grasp and we feel, Hey, this, this is, this person's ready. We'll mix them up. We'll throw them in with a different crew. We may not have the same friends over there and the same leadership style. And is he able to adjust to a different environment? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, training we we do provide uh, we, we provide the minimum training way back when California was fifty one oh nine had its own set of standards um, which was more than the rest of the nation uh, we adopted to that and then as we came back uh, contractually we backed off on some of it but we've offered everything that we feel is, is good for a firefighter. Mm -hmm. But as far as federal standards, um, as far as federal training standards go, I mean, that's NWCG requirements to be NWCG. Yeah. NWCG requirements to be on the line are what they are. And you guys go even a little bit above and beyond that. We, we do. We, we look, we, we follow the NWCG. We follow the standards where, you know, uh, A, we're required to by contract and B, it's, it's been a great system. Uh, uh, task books, we follow the task books that are out there and, and the task book has been a, a great tool in general, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of it, we have requirements outside of our control um, documentation. The documentation that we're required to do due to the contracts can become overwhelming. Um, they're you know requiring us to track the CTRs um, for a fire you want. Taskbook says you were on this fire, this incident number on this date. They say, well, prove it. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about this a little bit off the record, off the off off the show, of course. And uh you're saying that it was it's it's downright a bitch to actually get all this documentation in order for get pe- getting people quals. It could be hours for a single individual. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a pain. It's a, and, and what happens is, is there's, we have a contract, uh, you know, we run national crews, uh, we run engines in region five. Uh, we, we have, a contract in Oregon, which is ODF. Each one of those has its own set of rules, its own set of requirements. NWCG is always there, mm-hmm. is always the standard, but then it's, well, we want this in addition or that in addition. The frustration comes up yourself. You know, you, you're, you're with the, with the feds mm-hmm. and you show up, you're probably, you know, you're very well qualified. You show up and then I tell you, sorry, man, you, you don't have the right paperwork. And you're like, what? I fought fire yesterday. You know, I was qualified yesterday. And then the same agency that uh, qualified you says, yeah, but now you're contracting. So you're not qualified. Oh, wow. So if you were to jump ship from the feds over to you guys, per se, it'd be a whole different ball game. Yeah, it is. And so you're very well to come over. It is easy, but there's some hoops that we have to jump through to, to make it right. And so it's just a frustration level that we have such a different process from we were doing this, the same job. And then, you know, the day you retire, you know, as a, whatever, a type two, I see, they tell you, yeah, you, you can't work on one of our engines cause you're not Viper approved. So you can't even be an engine boss. It's like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Come on guys. Really? Oh man. So that's, that's interesting though. You say that though. I mean, um, you mentioned Viper contracts and that's kind of like the new standard, newer standard of how contractors get approved or like where they fall in like a priority list. Right? Could you explain the Viper? I'm not. I'm not a contracting officer, okay. so I don't know shit uh, about uh, it. <laughs> Viper, yeah, w- was you know, 
fire suppression went into nationalization. Hey, let if if I order a Type Three engine, let's have all Type Three and Type Three engines the same. Um, and and Viper was part of the tool to go through with that. Uh, it is a uh, it's basically a low bid contract. Uh, you have the low and and it and it's not said outright there's a point system to it but if you are adult you know nickel less than somebody else more than likely you'll be the leader in it and what that gives you in viper is first dispatch gotcha it gives you first dispatch but then you go home and come back and you're available first dispatch you don't go into rotation you're just always on the top if you're home Hmm. um and so that model i i don't believe has it's been a good program, but that model probably hasn't helped the fire agency uh, due to it's low bid. Yeah. You know, hey, I got a better engine. I got a better trained crew. I have better equipment. Well, that guy outbid you by nickel, so we're going to call him first. Oh, wow. And, and so that's how it works. Um, nationally with the cruise, the cruise is, uh, is, is a best value contract which is supposed to uh, give you, hey, you might be more expensive, but if we can see more value and we're, and, to, so, and we're willing to pay it, then you may be upfront on that. So kind of like a best bang um, for the buck the mentality? Best bang for the buck. And although they've gone into a CPAR system, which is a, it's a contract rating system, I, I think they even may do it in the feds with uh, their own employees. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically your evaluation. They've turned it into numbers. Um, basically, if you showed up and did your job, you're satisfactory. If you showed up and did a great job, you're satisfactory. If you sometimes showed up, you're satisfactory. And so they kind of neutralized it with their system. Gotcha. That's kind of weird. And it, it is. They've done it with aircraft. They've done it with catering. They've done it with fire crews, fire engines. And, and I believe they're working on addressing that but it it will not allow you your operations on a fire you'll never know what you get huh so it's kind of like shooting in the dark as far as like an ic's perspective goes is the caliber of contractor that may or may not show up correct gotcha yeah correct and and so yeah we we've we've striven to provide the best product we can um, you know, if, if you're a forest service and you're a division on there, you're our client. Our job is to make you happy, you know, do our job within the safety guidelines, et cetera, but to make you happy that we're there. Okay. So that makes a lot more sense. I mean, I know I, I'm just going to point it out there. I mean, there's a lot of disconnect between the contracting world and the fed world, and there's a lot of like butting heads. And then there's a lot of ego involved with it. And, uh, I've seen great contract crews. I've seen horrible ones. I've worked with you guys in the past uh, in Central Oregon on a bigger fire out there. And I thought you guys were great. You guys were on our division. You guys helped us out. Uh, It was awesome. But then again, I've been on other fires where I've got a turd sandwich with people just sitting around all day. So it's so now it kind of makes sense of like what actually happens behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and what's, uh, I mean, and so, you know, maybe the biggest things that can help is you do work, uh, the, the nation has been afraid to criticize, uh, you've worked with a bad crew and maybe you're in a, in a, you know, division or a task force leader. It's way easier just to let them go. Yeah. Um, 
once you say, hey, you know what, they had a bad, you know, we do evaluations. I think most contracts require it now. Um, if there's bad performance, let's document the bad performance. So A, if, if you know, they may be a great contractor, but it gives them an opportunity to, to see where their deficiencies are and correct them. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's easier just not to say anything and hopefully you don't have to work with them again. And so there's there's not really any uh, action that takes place. So they'll show back up somewhere else. That makes sense. But I also want to make a point too, that it make it absolutely clear that there's absolutely great fed crews or state crews out there. And there's absolutely dog shit ones out there as well. So, I mean, it's, it, it's all relative. It's just because you're a contractor doesn't mean you get the right to shit on them because you're a fed. I'm just going to say right. straight up right now for all of you that are listening. Yeah, no, there, there's great firefighters, great firefighters in all agencies. Um, there's great programs. There's crap programs. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's your duty in the field. You know, if you're in the field, you don't know, uh, you know, wh- whether it's an agency or state or private rather you know than showing up with a chip on your shoulder because you worked with a state crew that was horrible last time it doesn't mean this state crew is the state crew could be awesome yeah um or you worked with the fed crew last time and and try and go in with a neutral mindset we're all on the same team let's work together and you'll find out real quick what you're working with um maybe you just don't come in like a prick right off the gate (laughs) (laughs) amen brother amen couldn't have said it better so let's talk about like what it takes for you guys to stay initial attack qualified on your from your hand crew perspective like what does it what does it take for that because that's a that's a huge operation and i know that it's got to be difficult managing all of that yeah so so nwcg guidelines we would follow that um which is i think 12 12 of the folks have to be uh or i think it's a percentage um, I don't have a red book sitting here in front yeah, of you. Yeah, I have a red book in front of you. Sixty percent of the crew needs to be seasoned. Okay. Um, you need to have uh, IC type. You know, all squad bosses, crew boss needs to be IC type five qualified. You know, so um, you know, roll through the task books, etc. The the hot shots would run to a more cohesive standard. They train so many days a year. Uh, we don't have that. We we probably work those days, but we don't have those same standards there. Um, we have we're, we're supposed to have the ability to break up into four different modules, chase four different lightning strikes or yeah, whatever it may mods. be. Yep, break in, break into the lightning mods and chase fire, and have the ability both with equipment and personnel to do so. Gotcha. And now, uh, okay. I think we we stand slightly apart, and, and maybe your listeners will correct me. Um, we're self sufficient. We're you know we have credit cards. We need hotels. We need food. We need anything. We can generally get it. We have a support system back home. I don't know if Type Two IA across the board requires that to be self sufficient, but that's helped us largely in the past. Hey, the fire is winding down. Teams leaving, camp left. Can you manage, you know, can you uh, stay on while, you know, the fire is smoldering out and we have other fish to fry? Uh, we can generally take that on. Yep, we'll make it work. I gotcha. And now same thing goes with your engines as well, right? Yeah, same thing with our engines as well. Yep, they're also self-sufficient. And, and so a difference between a Fed and, uh, let's say, a contract crew, uh, my engine gets a flat tire. I mean, what happens with you? You call instant support, you can yeah. call ground support. I call ground support and they say, yeah, that's not in your contract, figure it out. Ooh, and, savvy. You know, so, 
fill out, you know, and I'm in Idaho in some place I don't know. We were calling the office. Our office is hunting someone down, calling the local tire shop and say, hey, can you get us a tire out there? Um, and same with the hand crews. You know, the, the, the support is not there. And it's, it's, it's generally courteous. You know, th- there's an opportunity in the contract where they could help. They just choose not to. <laughs> <laughs> it's that bottom line, man. I mean, it, go, it goes both ways, though. I mean, it's it's the incident's bottom line, which I understand, but it's also your bottom line as well. But I think if we were to come together to some sort of mutual agreement to where we could cooperate, I think it would do us a lot better uh, in the future, in the long run. Yeah, and, and there is cooperation. I, I, I don't want to say that they, they flip us off as they're doing that, um, but maybe they have four federal engines that are having trouble and you're on some nasty, rocky road and there's tires out everywhere. Like, hey, you take care of yours. We got other stuff to do. Um, and so uh, financially, you know, if they were to help us, um, it would just be deducted. You know, I mean, they, we, we would pay for it one way or the other. Um, medically, same thing. Um, you know, you're you're on a fire and one of my guys gets a bee sting and you say, hey, get him on a helicopter right out of here. Well, maybe the kid wasn't allergic, but we're footing a $30,000 bill over that. You know, the incident is not. Yeah, it's like those unnecessary uh, flights. And that's another cool thing that you talked about earlier, too, when we were um uh, discussing this whole episode is you guys have EMTs on your crews. Yes. Uh, we, we make, we, uh, we don't have a requirement for it. We we're under the same guidelines of first aid CPR, you know, for, a fi- or for, uh, we're trying to do that for everybody, all 20. I think the mandate right now is for Sawyer's, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. Um, but we try and have two EMTs on each squad. And so we can assess some of our own situations. Um, we, I, we can speak with somebody we know and say, no, he needs to go to the hospital or, you know, he needs help or we, we can take care of it on scene. We can go to camp. We can use some of their medical stuff and, you know, button up the scratch or something like that, as opposed to the knee jerk reaction of an unknown EMT of saying, call a helicopter. His ankle, his ankle looks broken. It's like, no, it's not broken. (laughs) Well, that's a good thing too, especially if you guys are like on a remote fire or something like that. And there's medical traffic, everybody panics, which is a good thing in a sense, but also Mm -hmm. it could uh, be a little bit overboard at the same time. So it's important to have medical training, uh, medical training and really know uh, your medical procedures. That way you can, you know, what is the thing is everything when, when a medical call goes out, it's always extreme urgency, right? It's easier to deescalate something than it is to escalate. And that's the value I see with having uh, EMTs on your crew. You you can give a real assessment in real time. Exactly. Say, yep. There has been an accident. There is an injury, but no, it's not life threatening. Um, we can wait for a helicopter or we can pack them out at, you know, it, it you know, it would be safer to pack him out. He will not die, but he's, you know, maybe it's a broken leg or something like that, but we can just take him off the hill in, in a slower process. And yeah, we could use some help or no, we can't. Yeah. And that's good. That's, that's excellent. So, yeah. So it, it, okay. it's helped us in the past for sure. Yeah. And, uh, I know you guys have probably had a lot, uh, not a lot of injuries, but it's just like with any other crew, you guys, we get injured on the job. That's just part of doing business. I mean, it happens. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we get injured. We have a, a sports therapist on retainer at home. And so we, we can run folks through there to see if they're fit, see what they need to work on and, and just help them. I mean, cause 
your body wears down and maybe you weren't injured, but maybe your, your legs weakening or you felt like you might've twisted something. He can work with you and, and either tell you to go sit at home and let, let's get this thing healed or say, no, you'll be fine out in the field. That's awesome. And not a lot of, I mean, I don't know of any agency, uh, besides like a handful in California and usually they're, you know, County departments that have a PT that's basically on retainer to work with their folks. That's pretty bitching. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been awesome for us. It's been awesome for me and my personal life. Cause you know, I, I'm not injury, injury free as well. Um, but it, but it's been really good. And, uh, I, I don't want to bash our national medical system, but sometimes you got a hurt leg. It might be, you know, four weeks later before you got the assessment that you have a hurt leg. <laughs> and, Where is that? And so we can, we can help them individually, either A, put them back to work or B, get them into a regiment that, that keeps them healthy. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a career and we don't want to wear a leg out when they should have been sitting at home and they're, they're telling me they're fine and they're in the field. And that's the thing is, man, I got my own beef against OWCP and how they handle business. But, you know, that's one thing that's cool about, you know, the contracting world is you are afforded the opportunities to provide services like this to your personnel. And it shows that you actually give a shit about them. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I think that's important in, in today's world. I mean, there's, there's jobs out there. There's plenty of jobs out there. And, and I think people want to work with somebody that cares. Uh, you know, at some level cares, you know, more than a, a paycheck and um, will help you through life because, it, you know, as we read more about firefighting, the the home life can get rough. The, you know, I mean, we see the suicide rates going up and, and there's more than just showing up work and digging line and having some form of network that helps them through life as, as well as just on the fire line. And that's another good point too. I mean, there's a huge push for mental health programs in the wildland fire thing. And a lot of times the contractors are forgotten about in that, re in that regard. And that sucks, man. But do you guys offer anything, uh, to your employees regarding mental health services? Um, we, we do, uh, it sounds like you and I mutually know Assad. Yes. Um, shout and, out to Assad. Uh, yeah, so I thought it's been been uh, awesome, and so we've had, uh, you know, we have the, you know, we're, we're out of Chico, California. The campfire happened, you know, a lot of stuff there. We lost um, thirty two of our guys lost houses in that oh, fire, shit. you know, and so there's some stuff that goes on in your head, and so we've the agency helped, the state helped, um, and in, in in that department, the agencies have almost remove the lines. And so the support from them has been amazing in, in that level. They, they didn't draw the line back to the tire. Hey, you got a flat tire contract says we can't help in the, um, in that world. They said, Hey, what do you need? Hey, this is what we would do. This is the resources we have. Can we help? That's awesome, man. And I'm glad to see that it, that dynamic is uh, changing. Cause it always, it didn't always used to be this way. No, no, it didn't. But, but they, they've made some uh, phenomenal efforts to make it better. And, and I, I'm seeing great improvements and, and very thankful for it. Hell yeah. That's awesome, man. So 
as far as the crew goes, let's uh, let's talk about like what your expectations are as far as crew members, because I know you guys are hiring. I know okay. you guys have some slots open, some positions available, and you guys cater to, you know, all the way from the crew boss, engine captain level, all the way down to your entry level. Um, and I think it's an excellent opportunity to get your foot in the door, switch it up. So let's talk about your crews. What are you guys looking for, for someone who's going to succeed on your crew? Crews, uh, plural. <laughs> crews, plural. Attitude's amazing. Uh, there's some very fit humans out there that, you know, that they could probably hang with the best of them, but the attitude, you know, no one else wants to work around them. Um, and so have a great attitude, you know, go out there. Uh, I want to show up in the morning. I want to work all day and I want to work hard. Um, I'm not just showing up because I need a paycheck. Paychecks are good. Paychecks are awesome. You know, I'm happy for them. Um, but I want a, a, a crew I can work with make friends, um, have a great attitude and, uh, and then looking for the next thing. If I'm a firefighter too, I want to be a firefighter one. What training do I need? Someone that uh, has some zeal to, to follow the process and, and, um, go through it. We will cater. What do you want? Hey, what, what are you looking for? What's your five-year program? Well, this is what you need to do. You do this, you know, you follow the steps, we'll back you up and we'll give you the classes. Um, so I, I think we're just, for me, it's always been attitude, attitude and a work ethic. Hell yeah, man. And now what about like fitness standards? I know you guys, uh, you guys follow your pack test up with a two mile run. <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's gnarly. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, we do do the pack test, you know, pack test is required. Um, but we wanted to see who, who you were beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, we followed up, uh, I think someone made maybe it's a five minute break and then go do a two mile run, but it lets you know where your heart and your character is. You might not be in shape and and maybe you didn't get in shape enough, but you you know, we can see where your heart is in it. Are you still trying or did you run a hundred feet and just like, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, so we, we do, we do have a fitness test for getting in. We don't mandate mandate, um, the time on the run, we do push ups, sit ups, but it lets us know where you sit. Uh, we'll always work with you. If you're out of shape, like, Hey, you need to get some hiking in. Um, we're not funded, um, by any contracts, you know, so when I have a crew contract, they don't write a separate check for training. They don't write a separate check for PT. They just say you need to be fit and you need to be trained. Um, there's no guarantee on it. The Viper contract, Hey, give me an engine. Give me three guys. We call you. We'll write you a check when you go to work. If we don't call you, you'll never see a check despite all the training you did. Um, and so we just encourage it in house. Uh, the crew soups will get together on the off days. And they'll go hike at the lake. They'll go hike in the local parks or in the back country or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it helps build some camaraderie and, and be a good some in shape. A little bit of a uh, camaraderie and cohesion activity. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. It'll get them quite a bit. And one, they want to do it as opposed to forced into doing it. And, and that, that helps filter a, a lot of the folks. Yeah. And that's a good thing too, to point out, man, it's like if your heart has to be in the right place to do this job, because we don't do it for the paychecks and we don't do it to be heroes. We, we do it for the sunsets at the end of the day, pretty much. Right. I, yeah. I don't think it matters what agency, if you hate your job, it's not going to matter what agency you work for. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's for damn sure. But that's a good thing too, is like bringing it back towards, uh, when you do go through your critical training, uh, your refreshers and all that stuff, you're actually out in the woods, you're doing 
pile burning, you're doing uh, fuels management projects and there's nothing that's going to get you in better shape, in my opinion, than actually doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. Hiking to the project, moving the sticks, moving the logs, doing prescribed burning, you get in shape. And, and we haven't had a, a, you know, we don't have an official training program such as a hotshot crew would have. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but we've always seemed to keep in shape. Um, you know, the longer the fire season is, the better shape you're getting in. Um, you know, the, the March, April fire in Arizona might be a little rough, um, you know, coming off of a winter. Um, but we, we, we find out who needs it. If they're not getting in shape, you start seeing the injuries go up. You know, you're getting the twisted knees, twisted ankles. Like, no, we need to get fit. Yeah. And that's the cool thing too, is like you have a backup plan for that too, in case someone does get hurt. So you got the, the yes. key on staff. That's, that's pretty damn unique, man. I gotta say. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's been super helpful. Um, differences. I, uh, I think we probably should talk about differences a little bit more maybe. Okay. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's end it. On, on the, uh, I, I think, you know, we're, we're running the same radios. We're running the same, you know, maybe not the same vehicles, but the same configurations. We've tried to model our stuff after what already exists. We're mm-hmm. trying to supplement what you have, um, as far as it is. So a whole different program's not coming in. We run it our way and you run it their way. And so what we're, you know, we're just trying to model what already existed and follow that program, not trying to take, you know, we didn't build a crew. So we can eliminate a hotshot crew. We, you know, built a crew so we could support the hotshot crew as it leaves the forest and it's fighting fire in New Mexico. We can go to its home station and and backfill. Yeah, and that's another thing too. Is like you guys aren't out there to reinvent the wheel. No, no, we we, we didn't come out with a better, you know, a, a better, smarter program. We just came out to support the program that exists. And when you call us. You know, because you have a busy fire season, you pay us while you're using us. And when you're done, send us home. Stop the paycheck. Stop the meter. You know, you're, you're now not funding the rest of, you know, the rest of the winter. That makes sense. Uh, you have a prescribed burn. You need somebody for two days. Hire them for two days. You don't need to build a whole nother program at, at the home unit so you can do three days of burning. Yeah. And that's a cool thing. That's a, that's the benefit. Like I was saying earlier is, you know, it's, it supplements what else is out there. And like I said, there's not a lot. I mean, there's plenty of resources, but when you hit a PL five in the middle of the summer, it's, yeah, it's going to get right. early. It's, resources are stripped. Yeah. Resources get short and, and, and resources get short and then you start getting whatever's out there. I think if we worked together more now, we can say, okay, let's, we want them to be more like this. So when we do use them, we're using a product we like, we're using a crew that we agree with. We're using an engine program. That's, that's good. Um, I think some of the downfalls of contracting in general, uh, when I started contracting was used by operational folks. Hey, I need an engine that does this. And contracting said, okay, I think I can write that contract. Now the tide has kind of turned and contracting writes a contract and then gives you as operations, no, you're going to use a contract that says this. You're going to use an engine that does this. And so it's kind of lost the voice um, from the operational folks. I don't think they're asking for much opinion there. Um, They should. I mean, they should ask you, Hey, what, when you, when, when you call an engine, what should that engine be outfitted? Like, (laughs) what do you want? What kind of work should they be able to do? 
and that's a good opportunity to say that and voice it. Um, so if, if I was the IC of a fire and I'm ordering up contract resources, how specific should I be? What should I be looking for? What should I ask for? All of that stuff. I mean, how is it going to make uh, the most sense as far as an IC's ordering perspective? Well, as, as far as ordering goes, you're not going to have much choice. And so as far as our dispatching, um, we're hosted by forests. So we're, we're hosted in the Lassen Forest, the uh, Plumas, the Shasta Trinity, mm-hmm. and you need a, a crew on the Shasta Trinity. They're going to default to their home crews. They're going to default to their shot crews. Well, you know, hey, where our PALs levels went up, we need another crew in another district. They start with their host crews first and send them out. Um, we don't dictate where we go. You know, they call us and said, hey, you know, we got lightning on the Shasta Trinity or Plumas. We need a crew over there. Um, where I think it needs to help as, a, as an industry, as probably a coast-to-coast thing, is before a contract's written, hey, this is what we want to see. Um, when you order, you know, we, we talked about Viper earlier. Currently in a Viper contract, it requires, and we talked about this a little bit before, it requires you to have a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you? You're on the fire line. Um, but it dictates how you can use that chainsaw. It says you can cut a line big enough to run a hose on, but you can't cut hand line. You can't cut logs. You can't cut down a hazard tree around your engine. The contract dictates that. So you as the IC says, hey, I got a type six contract engine here. There's a snag. They're, hang- they're patrolling the road, haven't cut down the snag. They come to you and say, nah, sorry, contract won't allow me to do it. First thing I would do as an IC is say, okay, let's go find an engine that can't. Yeah. So I think there needs to be better expectations and more clarity as far as like knowing, setting a, 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 another standard, a more uh, precise standard is what you're saying. Yeah, or even uh, some program nationally that the operational divisions, IC, crews, you know, hotshot soups have input into what these contractors are. Maybe you don't like contractors, but more than likely you're going to work with them at some point. I mean, you're, you're going to work with a contract crew. If you're in fire service, you're going to work with a contract engine, contract helicopter, contract Tender. dozer, tender, and something. And it would be good if the operational folks can say, this is what I want to see when I order a tender. This is what I want to see when I order a dozer, as opposed to, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, a contracting officer just, writing it out that may not have been involved with fire before this, but he's a contracting officer. No, that's a good thing to do. I mean, it, well, it sets the expectation too. And it also allows those, like you're saying, it allows those operational guys and girls out there to know what they're getting. Yes. Yeah. And they've, and it's been separated for some reason. I, I couldn't tell you the reason why they're being separated. I mean, you know, just like, you know, maybe the contractors and the feds have butted heads and passed. Now the contracting officers and everybody is butting heads. Um, and, and I, I think the system needs some help. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing though, is like when you have so many layers of bureaucracy on top of bureaucracy, shit's bound to get messed up. It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, it, it's, it's a beast and, uh, I, I don't foresee it being perfect ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it probably evolving for the rest of my life in it and some things will get better and some things will probably get worse. And hopefully we, we, as they get worse, we recognize it and try and change it, and, um, in, in all, all agencies. 
Yeah. I, I hope it gets better, man. I mean, that's the thing. We're all in this thing together. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so what does the average fire season look like for you guys? Like a typical season? I know it's, it's not a season anymore, especially in California where you guys are out of, out of region five. It's a year round gig now. So yeah, what, what uh, can we expect? Uh, t- typical fire season with us. So we, we have some uh, MAPs, ac- acronym MAP, mandatory availability period, mm-hmm. where our contracts uh, have some set start dates. Shasta Trinity comes on April 15th. Um, and what, what some of the forests did was trying to say, hey, where, where do we need the supplementation the most? April 15th, you know, it's early in the season, maybe not a lot going on, but if something does go on, a lot of their folks are still in training. And so they put us on early. Uh, so we would start, and depending on the year, we'd start with uh, training in January, um, start going through our training program. We have a lot of uh, prescribed fire, uh, broadcast burning, um, with a variety of folks, with uh, nonprofits, with the agency, with the state, uh, with private landowners, we start, you know, we find all of our burns and as the windows open, we start hitting those. If we're not burning, we're getting ready for burns, you know, whether it's equipment or it's uh, preparing the burn site for burning. We do a lot of fuels work. You know, the fuels work will start getting heavy, whether it's for private outfits or public agencies, um, you know, prior to June, July, when things get heating up, we're doing a lot of, you know, whether it's piling or thinning or some form of uh, fuels work. Yeah. And you guys do like some interesting stuff with like wineries and uh, speaking of private, uh, enterprise, uh, you guys do a lot of work with, uh, wineries, farming, all that kind of stuff too, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, small, you know, we would, we would do stuff all the way from, you know, you have an acre in your backyard and you want it cleaned up and the local landscape company, you know, it doesn't exactly, you know, they'll mow it if they ever get grass there. We'll do some of that all the way to large scale, um, estate, you know, maybe estate planning of, Hey, we have an estate. We're having a really hard time getting insurance. Um, Either A, we want to make it so we can get insurance, or B, we just want to make it so it won't burn to the ground if a fire comes into the area. So we'll, we'll do, do some planning on that. Hey, you need some thinning here. You need your road. You know, We try and make it uh, agency-friendly. So the Forest Service engine showed up, a CAL fire showed up on their property. They're like, okay, we could save this place. We yeah. don't feel like we're in harm's way. We don't feel like we went down your dead-end road with stuff hanging everywhere. And we, 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 we want to make it so it fits your standards. So you'll make an attempt to save the place if you get there. Um, and then make it so, yeah, the place will probably still get fire, but it won't be catastrophic. And they'll still have green trees when it's over, but they may have lost some of their fuels on the ground. Gotcha. And now uh, you guys are a national resource as well. So you mentioned Arizona. I mean, you guys can get called up to any national uh, incident, right? Yes. Yeah. In, in, so our, our contracts are, are is with the Forest Service or Department of Agriculture. So we're yeah coast to coast or wherever they go. Um, we do work with the state a little bit, although the state doesn't hold their own contract. But as you know, just like they would use the feds, they'll use us when they have to. Kind of like a call when needed basis. Yeah, that that would stri- strictly be when they're over overwhelmed or due to their their GAC planning. They they don't want to use all their resources in one spot, so they'll spread us in, into the program. And you guys are ordered through Ross, just like any other resource, right? Ross, which is now. 
Iraq. Yeah, Iraq. <laughs> I think it's called now. I, I, don't, his, I don't even know. I, I, I haven't messed with that. But yeah, we're available in Ross, and so uh, we we self will self status. Um, we have some mandated times we have to status, but we'll self status. Uh, if I have a fire crew that, you know, maybe there's a prescribed burn going on in July in some high country somewhere, um, I'll need to get some, some form of permission. Hey, I plan on pulling this crew off. Are you guys good? Yeah. Because once I commit to something else, I can't just leave a prescribed burn or something like that. Yeah. You definitely don't want to leave anybody with their pants down around their ankles. (laughs) Right. And and it's been helpful, you know, there as well, because, you know, maybe you're a shot crew sitting and, and you would be great. You know, there's a burn window, you want to burn, but they don't want to lose you as a resource. Yeah. You know, they don't want they don't want to commit you to this burn and then get a wildfire in your backyard. Like, hey, sorry, we can't send them. They're on a prescribed fire, and so we'll supplement that as well or work with them. And so, if somebody has to stay, we can stay put, and then they can roll to roll to assignment. Gotcha. And you're saying earlier today. I mean, how long do your seasons your seasonals? I know you do permanent staff, and you guys do seasonal staff, just like agency, right? I mean, it's, how long is a typical season for those guys? Uh, I, I don't know that it would say typical, but I mean, we could be nine, 10 months into it getting tired. You know, I mean, we were, we were in Georgia and Tennessee and Kentucky, what was it? Two Thanksgivings ago. Mm-hmm. And then something's always breaking down, in, you know, central or, I mean, the campfire was in November. I know. God, that's uh, crazy. And so we're seeing more and more of that. And what happens is more and more folks are laid off at that point, you know, and throughout all the agencies. And so they're hitting us up and it's a phone call of, you know, we're not under a mandatory availability period, but they'll call and say, Hey, what do you have available? Yeah. And say, Hey, we got this or, Hey, give me, give me 24 hours. Let me make some phone calls and I'll see if that changes. And if I can find something else. Because uh, we we do have folks, you know, they they come out here and work. They don't all live here, you know. They come out from Minnesota or wherever they may be. And fire season, we get a season-ending event. And we're like, hey, it's been a long season. Can I get out of here? Says, so yeah, sounds good. Get out of here. And then a fire breaks somewhere else. And so, we'll, you know, our staffing will go down in in the off season as well. But we pick up. Uh, we've we've had a lot of folks that worked with us and that now work in the agent. They, whether, whether they work with Cal fire or forest service or BLM, they get laid off at the end of the season, um, you know, from the shot crew or wherever they may be. And they call up like, Hey man, I want to work. What do you guys got? And so we'll take a lot of, uh, you know, current, you know, they currently have stuff during the season, but they'll come work with us in the off season. Oh, that's cool. Like, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And so they'll come back and they'll say, and they'll just tell me, Hey, I'm coming back. But you know, whatever the date may be, this coronavirus changed a few dates, but mm-hmm. Hey, April 1st, I'm getting trained again. Uh, I can, you, can you work me till April 1st? Like, yeah, sounds good. Dude. Speaking of coronavirus, I mean, <laughs> this is out of control, man. I've had so many cancellations on my podcast alone. And then like podcasts, they're afraid they're going to catch it through the waves. Well, I was supposed to go travel and do some in-person interviews and it's just like, ah, oh, shit, we can't do it now. You know, but that's, yeah, I mean, but the coronavirus thing, I mean, what are you guys doing to like do your thing, you do your part, so to speak, and socially isolate and socially distance or whatever, all that stuff, all these buzzwords. What are you guys doing as far as like training and everything? Cause that affects us all. It affects us all for, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, we, you know, and, and as protocols are coming into place, you know, most of our transport is, is trucks. 
Um, and so we've, we've minimized, you know, in the past, you might work riding truck A today, but you wanted to ride in truck B tomorrow. We've stopped that. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's five folks in a truck. Let's, let's manifest that. That's who you're always, so we don't switch it around too much. So if I get somebody sick in one of the trucks, we can isolate that group as opposed to the whole crew. Uh-huh. Um, as far as protecting the public, um, you know, we still need to eat. We still need to sleep. We may walk into a grocery store, a gas station. Let, let's cover our faces. Um, so, you know, maybe we won't get sick, but we may pass it to someone else if something were to happen. So we try and minimize exposure to the public in that way. Um, training, uh, Zoom. Zoom is uh, taken, you know, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're busier than ever, um, but we've been doing a lot of uh, conferences through Zoom, talks through Zoom rather than all sitting in the same room. And then our training, um, we're, we're doing our, you know, they had some national guidelines come out, but we still wanted to talk to people. And so we said, hey, check in in the morning. These are the topics through Wolfstar we'd like you to address. And then let's meet in the afternoon on Zoom and let's talk about what we, you know, what you guys read, what you researched, and go from there. So we're we're doing it other ways. Keeping the student of fire alive, even in times even, of <laughs> the COVID. even in times, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, man. it's tough. I mean, you know, you're still going to need Sawyer's this fire season. You're still going to need, you know, fire, you know, squad bosses and captains. Uh, they, I think, they blanketed the uh, refresher if you were. You know, if you were valid in 2019, they'll give you a 2020 pass. Yeah. Um, but maybe you would want to advance your career and, and, and you, there's some training. I'm sure everybody had training they're planning on doing this winter that just got next. And so we're struggling through some of that as well, but we're still moving forward. It's definitely a mutual thing. I know everybody's struggling in that regard. So that kind of raises up the question of like uh, new hires. I mean, you still have to get them their pack test and you have to get them certified. I mean, that's that's got to be a difficult challenge to kind of like mitigate all of this with the new hires. Uh, with with a, it is with a new hire, uh, you know, so we even the fire shelter, you know, there's certain things you have to touch mm-hmm. um, fire shelter. We've been disinfecting. Uh, we've been following some, you know, you know, CDC protocols for stuff, uh, with hand tools. You got to touch a shovel. Well, let's not pass the shovel to everybody. This is your shovel today that you're training with. This is your Pulaski, uh, with gloves on. Um, it does make it more difficult, uh, in, in a million ways. They do have some really good NWCG has some very good online and blended like basics. Uh, we've been utilizing that. We've we've uh, resisted it a lot in the past. I went through it. I think it's a pretty good program. I think face to face is always better. I agree. Uh, and so we we've been uh, messing with that a little bit, and then still doing our our field time together. Nice. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's a it's a shit show. Let's just be, let's just say how it is. It's a shit show. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a struggle. Oh man. So now that we uh, we've kind of gotten all the talk about contracting and how it works, you guys are hiring. We are hiring. Let's talk um, about that. Uh, I don't know if I would say we're always hiring, but we're hiring now. We're looking for you know firefighter twos, which is starting from you've never trained, you don't have any certificates, and you just want to get into fire. Uh, we're, we're a good opportunity. Maybe, maybe you're going to have a career in Cal Fire, or maybe that's your goal, but Cal Fire is not hiring right now, or Forest Service or County. It's a great way to get your foot in the door. 
get some training. A, it'll let you know if you like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not everybody who wants to do fire ends up liking it when they get there. Um, it, it, you're, you're not running out saving babies every day. <laughs> and saving baby, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes there's just hard work. Uh, so we do, we're, we're looking for those. We're looking for uh, a seasoned firefighters, someone that, that wants to advance their career and, you know, work as a squad boss, work as a captain, work as a crew boss. Um, we're looking for those uh, engine captains, we're looking for engine captains within our engine program. We also have a uh, prevention program. Oh, you guys do prevention too? We do prevention as well for some of the, the larger utility companies where some of the larger, somebody may have started fires recently. Or, I'm picking and, up what you're putting down here. <laughs> so so, so they, they're taking some steps to saying, hey, let's put some prevention vehicles around what we're doing and, and do that. So we're doing some of that. That's more... Um, if you want to go fight fire every day, prevention is probably not for you, but if you want a steady, you know, 60 or 70 hour week with a set schedule, you know, prevention might be the the job for, for you. Um, it it pays well. Um, there's plenty of time for training, et cetera. So we have openings in that as well. Uh, GIS, um, they, they do, we have, are permanent folks. And then they do as fire season comes on, they have uh, seasonal jobs for the GIS as well. And they're, they probably started their hiring probably about a month ago. Oh, that's awesome, man. So as far as like benefits and stuff, I mean, there's gonna be some differences between, uh, the feds. We've kind of discussed a little bit of them, like the unique ability to have a physical therapist uh, on retainer for you guys, for your crew. But what else do you guys offer? Do you guys offer 401k, um, all that stuff, insurance, uh, we do, I, you know, I, I wrote this down cause I figured you'd ask me that, but yeah, we do offer, I, uh, we do offer a 401k. I think it's eligible after a year of service. Mm-hmm. Um, we do offer, let me, let me dig some notes here so I can give you some accurate information. Um, we, it's, uh, it's, it's a 401k with an employer match after uh, a year of service. Um, it's an employer match up to a percentage based yeah. on your time. So it's not dollar for dollar. Um, and then we do, uh, uh, we have health and welfare, which comes through, it, it comes through your payment. So, and, and I don't, I'm not familiar enough with the federal system, but let's say you make 15 bucks an hour. Well, there's usually a health and welfare tacked on of, of four something an hour that goes to you non-taxable. Um, you don't get taxed for it. The intent of that is to use it for healthcare. Um, you could use it for beer if you chose to, um, but the, <laughs> you can use it for whatever you want. It just comes in your paycheck. Um, so we do have that. Um, uh, and then we, we do offer, I, I don't want to get into our, into our healthcare cause I'm going to give you bad information. I think <laughs> no worries, but you guys do <laughs> offer healthcare, you know? Y- yes. And yes. Just- and I, and I don't know that there's anything that's great out there. I mean, maybe, maybe somebody has a magic healthcare system. Well, if you're wealthy enough, you do. <laughs> if you're wealthy enough, you, you may. But uh, so we we do offer stuff that's comparable. 
That's good, man. And that was that's a pretty cool. Like, say you got your base pay, and then you get your health and wear, welfare tacked on top of it. That's that's pretty unique because we have the option in the feds to opt into a uh, it was called an HSA, a health savings account, which okay is taken out of your pay, your base pay. So right, that's that's pretty unique, man. And and, and that and that's not a bad way to go as well. I mean, at least um, you know, and, and the health and welfare is good. The downside to it is you're 20 years old and you get a check, and you're not necessarily you know, putting it in the bank. <laughs> See, that's words of advice to rookies. I mean, I, I got to do a show on retirement and stuff like this, man. Cause seriously, there's such thing as being hotshot rich or fire season rich. You just blow oh, yeah. that money that you've been banking all summer long on stupid, frivolous shit. Like, hell yeah, I want a new motorcycle. Let's just right. go out and You drink roll through beer. a lot of money. And at the end, you know, I see young kids roll through a lot of money. And in November, they're dead broke, no apartment, no car. <laughs> you know, but they, they, maybe they have a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> Pull your heads out of your asses, kids. Yeah. Oh, man. No, that's pretty cool, though. And you guys offer, you said uh, you, you guys offer, you know, protections for injuries on the job. Um, and like I said, OWCP is a, well, it's it's a challenge. <laughs> I'm using air quotes here. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Okay, excellent. Yeah, no, we, we, we do. We, we, tr- we always try and help an employee. We, you know, as far as insurance, there's workman's comp. Mm-hmm. Workman's comp is what it is. Um and I probably ought to be careful what I say in this department as well, you know, but it doesn't always help the person to, you know, to, you know, to the best of the ability. It, it sends you through a process. It sends you through a long, could be a long, painful process that uh, with a better system in place could have avoided all that. But there's, there's a lot of laws that we all have to follow, whether you're fed or state or something. And there's a process that you have to follow. Um, and, and sometimes it's not always the best for a human. Oh, man. That's, yeah. No kidding. Right. So that's, that's cool, man. So you guys are hiring. I mean, how many positions do you think you guys got, or is it still kind of up in the air depending on what you guys got going on? Um, and, and so we hire, uh, we, we, uh, we have Nicole, which is our, uh, marketing and, and media and she's a recruitment. Uh, she helps get the word out there. You know, Hey, we are hiring. This is what we're doing. This is what we're looking for. Um, but we are, our crew soups hire individually. And so what we have a program, like if you're looking for a job, um, you can get online, submit electronic application. Um, a lot of our stuff has gone electronic. You put an application in our crew soups can look at it. They can go through, take a look at application. They'll call you direct. Um, and then they'll, you know, we'll go through an interview process. They'll, um, go through your quals, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm firefighter one qualified. Like, okay, we're probably going to have to see some of this paperwork to verify that. And then maybe you are missing something or you couldn't get a hold of yourself. We'll help you through some of that process. You know, Hey, I worked at a, you know, I worked for the shot crews. I can't find my file. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll help hunt some of that down if need be. Um, as always, I, we like people that do their own hunting down. You know, but you're going to run into roadblocks sometimes, but do as much legwork as you can show that you, you want a job and you're capable of thinking and you're capable of doing some of the, the hard work to get there. And then we'll, we'll help you with that. And see right there too, that's an added benefit as well, because you're not going through, uh, the fire hire combine, if you will, or getting hired through Albuquerque or whatever. It's, it's the crew soups will call right. uh, call you directly. And that's how it goes. It's very traditional. 
Yeah, very, very, very traditional. You know, we, we, we follow all the, you know, the, the, the laws and the equal opportunity employment. But in the end, we, we got to have a fit where we can get along. Um, a, you've got you, a, you fall, you've met all the guidelines, but then you have a good attitude and, and, and maybe you have a good attitude, but there's two different personalities. Like, Hey, you might be a great firefighter and a great fit, but this, this crew or this engine may have the wrong personality fit for you, but this crew over here has a better fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we will do that a little bit as well. Um, I, I, you know, we, we talked about backgrounds, um, in California, um, you know, they have the Department of Corrections has hand crews. Yeah. Um, they, they fight fire and, and those folks, you know, at some point get out or back into the free world. Um, and I was asked, well, hey, are you all inmate crews? Are you only hire felons or inmates? No, no, we, we, we're not inmate crews, but I believe that, man, you, you've had a crime. You've served your time. You're a free man and, and you're at an opportunity in life where, man, I trust you until I don't. Hell <laughs> you yeah. know, you, you'll have the same opportunity as everybody else. And, uh, and we've had great success with that. We've had failures with that. We've had failures everywhere, but we, we will give you an opportunity. Yeah. You can't win them all, but it's also, it should be noted that, you know, you guys do offer the opportunity if you case you guys happen to got in trouble a little bit with Johnny law, you know, right. It's yeah, some it, hurdles, you know, there's some hurdles with getting any job after that point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, maybe this isn't a fire conversation and, and just a, a human conversation, but yeah, you've, you've, I've seen young kids got in trouble when they're 15, end up getting out of, you know, and they just kept on getting trouble and trouble and trouble. And they come out at age 28, they've been trained in fire. That's the only thing they have ever known. They get out and the people that trained them said, no, we're not going to give you a job. And then they go elsewhere. No one will give them a job. And they're just trying to get back into society, pay their bills, pay their taxes. And the whole world's telling them now. Um, I, I feel they deserve a chance. I mean, they can do whatever they want with that chance. They can blow it and they can end up back where they started or that they can do well. And, and the sky's the limit. This is America. Damn right, man. And that's a good thing. You <laughs> give that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we try to, so, I mean, and, and people change, people make mistakes and, and, you know, they pay for them and they can change and get better. Everybody makes mistakes though. Everybody dude. Every, everybody makes mistakes and in all party lines and all religions and all places, people make mistakes. Absolutely. Well, Josh, I think this is an excellent episode and we're just about to the tie in point. Um, so at the end of the show, give an opportunity to, for you to give uh, us some information as to where we can find you guys, where okay. we can uh, contact you for any further questions. Okay. Um, you know, as, as far, we talked about hiring quite a bit. We are recruitment line. I'll give you a phone number. 530-285-0998. Uh, email address media at firestormfire.com. You can always get on our website, uh, website, firestormfire.com. It's got a ton of information off of it. You know, before you call the office, it's got a phone number there. But before you call it, dig through the website and and most of your questions will be answered. Um, I I don't know that I'm ready to give my phone number out. But if you have any (laughs) questions, uh, you can definitely email the office. Uh, They'll get hold of me. And, uh, you know, if I said something on here that was against your agency, against your state, or maybe I misspoke something, hit me up on it and, and I'll, I'll correct my wrong. 
There we go. And where can we find you on uh, socials? Do you guys have like a Facebook? Instagram? I know you guys have an Instagram. Uh, we do. We have an Instagram. Sorry, I, I can't give you that address because I don't know what it is. I think it's just um, at Firestorm LLC or uh, at yeah, Firestorm I Fire. I think it's at Firestorm Fire. Um, and then we also have a Facebook page as well. Um, you're, you're always welcome to, you know, just to email us in general and they'll get it to the appropriate people. Um, you know, like I said, my name's Josh Schiller. I run operations for it. I, I will, you know, if you guys have a question for me, I will do my best to answer it. Hell I yeah. may not always have the answer, but I can hunt away on it. Hell yeah, Josh. Well, thank you very much. Hey, uh, at the end of the show, I always like to extend the opportunity for you to give a shout out to a homie, a hero, a mentor. Who do you got for us? Uh, you know, I, I got a couple mentors, Jim Wills, uh, the person that started this company, he got me in fire, did a lot of my training, um, you know, has helped build me into what I am. Uh, there's another man, Keith Alvord. Uh, he came from the fed side. I worked with him quite a bit. He mentored me, you know, how to uh, manage fire and a personal life and an enjoyable life all at the same time. So a couple, couple of great men. Hell yeah, man. That's a hard thing to do though. Finding that um, balance between your personal life and your fire it's life. It's a pendulum. The pendulum doesn't hang straight down. It swings left, then it comes straight down for five minutes, but then it swings right. It's just kind of keep minimal movement. Oh yeah. I feel you there. It's a good, it's a good thing. It's a good practice to find balance. That's for damn sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, Josh, dude, I want to say thank you and for coming on the show and, you know, sharing some insight because a lot of people don't really understand or know what goes on in the contracting world. And, uh, I, I, I applaud you for taking that chance. Appreciate it. Man. All right. Hey, well, thanks for inviting me on. And yeah, if your, your audience has any questions, feel free to hunt us up. Hell yeah. Take care, man. Uh-huh. All right, guys, there we go. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with Josh Hiller from Firestorm Wildland Fire Suppression Incorporated. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing a little bit of insight about what contractors actually do. And of course, I didn't know that you guys had to put up with so much BS, man. That, that's kind of sucks, man. But anyways, you guys got a good outfit. I've worked with you guys in the past up in uh, Region 6. And uh, yeah, I've never had a bad experience. And uh, also, I just want to point out to you guys that are still looking for a job that maybe did not get picked up by a crew definitely hit these guys up because they are hiring and it is a great opportunity to get your foot in the door and get your feet wet with the world of uh, wildland fire. So if you guys want to check out more, definitely go to www.firestormfire.com and check them out. And for the rest of you guys, wash your damn hands, stay safe, stay trained, stay, uh, stay sane. Yeah. Hopefully this COVID crap will, uh, it, it will pass. It's an inevitability. We'll be fine. So Thank you guys for listening to the show. I'll catch you on the next one.